I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. Dear listeners, have you noticed how actresses from the seventies and eighties are suddenly everywhere? Take Sharmila Tagore. Last year, she made her OTT debut with Gul Mohar, playing the role of a queer character. And aren't we absolutely grateful that glam queen Zena Taman has taken a throne on social media? Not only that, she also appeared in the latest season of Coffee with Karan, and the word is that she is getting ready to make a Bollywood comeback. And if you're a real junkie like me, you'd have also seen Neetu Kapoor, another actor from the seventies, playfully bantering with a paparazzi. And don't even get me started on Nina Gupta. Name any OTT show, and she's likely on it, enthralling the audiences with her spectacular performance. But you're getting my drift, right? The yesteryear actresses are back in the spotlight, and according to a report in the Economic Times, they're also the hottest brand ambassadors in town. The report says that Neetu Kapoor, Sharmila Tagore, Zena Taman, and Nina Gupta have signed a great many endorsement deals in the recent months. While Zena Taman is the face of fintech platform Cred, Neetu Kapoor is advertising lace chips. Sharmila Tagore has Vivel soap and Mama Earth shampoo in her kitty, and Nina Gupta, on the other hand, is endorsing electric vehicle Eblufio and P Mark edible oil. To be honest, that's a lot—a whole lot, in fact—which makes us wonder why are so many brands making a beeline for Neetu Kapoor, Zena Taman? Nina Gupta and Sharmila Tagore. Is it because nostalgia sells? Well, partly, yes, nostalgia does sell, but that's not all. If you took a note, all these actresses have made a comeback on either social media platforms or on OTT platforms. Plus, they have a massive social media following. So, if a brand wants to communicate to an urban, upwardly mobile consumer, the likes of Zena Taman makes total sense. In fact, ET reported that Aman's campaign for Cred in August raked in over 1.4 million views in a day, which I'm not going to lie are quite impressive numbers. Also, signing actresses of the 70s and 80s is also easy on companies' bottom lines. Fees of the 70s stars is reportedly only 20 to 30 percent of what a Priyanka Chopra or a Deepika Padukone will charge. So there's some economic sense there. So most probably we are going to be seeing more and more of such collabs between brands and these actresses. Meanwhile, I'm cheering from the sidelines for the renaissance era of Bollywood's timeless beauties. We're better for it. For the next few minutes, you are going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hi, I'm Shorbhuri and this is the deep dive The 30th January 2024. Enough is enough. That's what the bankruptcy judge of the Hong Kong High Court, Miss Linda Chan, said on Monday, after hearing Evergrande's lawyers argue that the debt-ridden company needed more time to make a deal with its creditors. She said that despite months of delays and several court hearings, Evergrande failed to present a concrete restructuring plan. So the judge after 18 months of hearing rendered her final decision ordering Evergrande to liquidate. So yeah, that's the deal. The Chinese real estate holding company would be effectively dismantled. 
And if you recall, it's no ordinary firm. Founded in 1996, Evergrande was once China's biggest property developer. According to its website, as reported by Bloomberg, it owns more than 1,300 projects in more than 280 cities. But in the last four years, Evergrande also turned into the crumbling symbol of China's ongoing property crisis. In 2020, as China's housing market began to slow down and the government also started cracking down on reckless borrowing, Evergrande ran out of cash. And in December 2021, it stopped paying its debts. It has since been negotiating a restructuring plan with its creditors with no success. And Massive doesn't even begin to describe the kind of money it owes banks and bondholders. You want a number? $300 billion. Yes, you've heard that right. Evergrande has more than $300 billion of total liabilities. That's roughly equivalent to the GDP of Hong Kong and it's bigger than Qatar's. Anyway, now that the court has ordered its liquidation, we've got three things to discuss. First, where will things go from here? Second, will investors get their money back? And third, and probably the most consequential of all, how is Evergrande's undoing going to affect China's lagging economy? Let's dive right in. After the court's verdict, trading of shares of Evergrande as well as those of its subsidiaries were halted in Hong Kong. The court will appoint a liquidator for Evergrande's parent company who will be in theory empowered to sell the company's assets to repay its mammoth debt. To put it mildly, that will be kind of challenging as China's real estate industry is on its knees practically and home buyers will have very little confidence in private developers. Evergrande's assets are mostly in mainland China, which is a different jurisdiction from Hong Kong. So in the best of circumstances, it'll take months or even years for the liquidator appointed by the Hong Kong court to take control of Evergrande's assets across mainland China. But one should always consider the worst case scenario, which in this case would be China's courts refusing to recognize the verdict of the Hong Kong court. Now, there's a mutual agreement in place between Hong Kong and Beijing that a Chinese court would take cognizance of Hong Kong appointed liquidators to help offshore creditors. But as the New York Times noted, only one of five such requests to local Chinese courts has been granted. So for Evergrande's offshore creditors, things were anyway far from ideal. And this liquidation is also going to be a long drawn out process. But whatever happens next will also to an extent determine how much foreign investors can trust the Middle Kingdom. For Chinese lawmakers, it'll be a tough balance to strike because you see on one hand, China wants foreign investments. Its economy is sluggish and the property market, as I said earlier, is on its knees. On the other hand, lawmakers also have to ensure that the unfinished buildings in which many Chinese buyers have invested their money are completed. So it's a political issue now. For one, Evergrande's chief executive, Siu Shan, has assured that the company will deliver home building projects despite the liquidation order, which is, well, tricky. Evergrande has to sell its assets to repay debt and also finish its unfinished business quite literally. Anyway, even if Evergrande achieves that remarkable feat, China's housing market will remain bleak for years to come. New data released by the Chinese government shows that sales of newly built homes fell 6% last year, which means the downturn in the sector is now in its fourth consecutive year. Prices of houses are nosediving. And as a result, local Chinese governments have lost a major source of revenue. But my sympathies are with Chinese buyers 
whose dreams of moving into their new homes has hit a wall. If you like listening to the Signal Daily, please show some support. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this podcast. So feel free to shoot an email at hello at thesignal.co. The Signal Daily is produced in association with IVM. This episode was researched and written by Anoop Sembal. Edited by Dinesh Narayanan. Produced by me, Shorbury. Mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are thesignal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.